Hey, good morning, family. How are we doing? Good? Good to see you guys. Open your Bibles up. Uh, Colossians chapter 4. Colossians chapter 4. That's where we are going to be spending uh, a lot of our time today. Uh, This is the final sermon in our series, All of Christ for All of Life. And uh, Paul has given us a picture today of what it looks like for Christians to put uh, their understanding of Jesus uh, into practice. And so we're going to read uh, verses 7 through 18 from chapter 4. Please give your attention to the reading of God's word. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you or your hearts. With, with him is Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. They will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, welcome him, and Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when his le- this letter has been writ- read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you're f- you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Thank you. Let's give Kathy a hand. Those are a lot of words. <laughs> A lot of names. Way to go, Kathy. That is the word of God. Let's pray. God, we gather here because we love you so much. We want to lift you up. I love you, Lord. Thank you for your word. Um, You actually have so much to teach us and say to us through this passage. So, God, I just ask that you give us ears to really hear what you have to say because as it says in the Psalms, that your word is good and it is true. Everything you have to say is for our good and is for your glory in the earth. So, Lord, I pray that right now that you would uh, open up our hearts to hear what you, O oh God, have to say to your people. You always take care of us. And we thank you for your great love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So since this is the last passage we're looking at, we need to do a little review of, of what brought us to this point in the letter to the Colossian Christians. The good news of Jesus is that he is the Lord over all. That means he is the king over everyone and everything. Uh, there are other rulers. There are other kings that are in power right now ruling the earth. But the good news is that Jesus is actually ultimate king and ruler over them. And they are serving his purposes. That is Colossians 1.16. And that is good news. 
And this King Jesus is restoring everything that is broken in his creation that he has created, visible and invisible. He is restoring things under the right, their right place under his kingship, his authority. That's Colossians 1, 19 through 20. And that is good news. Christ is bringing order out of chaos. Christ is bringing resurrection life where there has previously been death and destruction. Jesus Christ is bringing justice where there had previously been oppression. Jesus is bringing peace among people where there had previously been animosity. And that is good news. This is the wonderful good news that Christians believe and we are to spread to everyone in the world. But as we spread that good news, how do people react to it? Well, we often say things like this. Well, talk is cheap. I mean, sounds good, but talk is cheap. Or we say, you know what? Actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words because we talk like this because we know that how we live proves what we really believe. And the same thing follows for those who decide to become Christians. Listen, guys, if we want non-believers to be a part of this community, Crossway, and the church, if we want them to give their life for what we are spreading, what we are propagating, then they need to see that it makes a real difference in our lives. Why? Because talk is cheap. And that's the title of the sermon today. Talk is cheap. We know this. The world hears the message of good news that we are spreading about Jesus Christ being Lord. And it says, oh, really? Really? Well, show me then. Show me where Christ is the ultimate ruler right now. If he's ruling and reigning right now. Where is that? Show me where Christ is reconciling all kinds of people to himself. Show me where Christ is bringing justice where there's oppression and peace to people where there was once animosity. Where, where is that, if that's true? And then I'll believe. And Paul's answer is this. Well, look at the local church. Look at the visible, physical expression of the body of Christ. You'll see it there. Look at Colossians 3.11. We've already gone over this, but it, it bears repeating. He says, here, where? Paul says right here. Here there is not Greek, Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Brothers and sisters, it matters whether the gospel has made its way out of our head into our behaviors. It really matters. It matters whether the gospel has actually transformed how we interact with other believers. Because this is how people are going to know for sure that Jesus is actually ruling and reigning in the lives of people. That's how they're going to know. So here's the big idea today. In order for the gospel of Jesus to spread, we must live out its social dimension, not just talk about it. We've got to live this out. And so how do we do this? How do we do it? Well, we live out the gospel when we befriend people that are outside of our circle. That's one way we do it. We befriend people that are outside 
of our circle. This part of the letter that we read, that Kathy read, I don't know if you felt this way or not, but it reads kind of like a phone book, right? It's just kind of like names and numbers. It's like Paul just kind of threw up this random list of people's names with comments about them. But I think Paul is being a lot more intentional than that. I want you to look here at the text, and there is great diversity in the people that he names here, the people that he is friends with, and people that he ministers and partners with. It's absolutely astounding. We don't have a list like this except maybe for Romans. There's great ethnic diversity in this list. Tychicus is a Greek. Epaphras is a Colossian. Articus is in Mark. They're both Jews, just like Paul is. Get this, Onesimus is a slave, and he's on this list. Luke is a medical doctor, is well-educated. He's named here. Nympha is a woman. This is a pretty amazing list, is it not? It's pretty incredible. You have a diversity of education, a diversity of vocation, social status, gender, and ethnicity in this network of Christians that are all working side by side for the glory of Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that Paul uses very affectionate words to describe these brothers and sister who are not like him. Did you guys catch that when we ran through that? Paul has spent time with them, and he loves them. He loves them. They're different from him. They're outside his tribe, so to speak, and yet they're called his beloved friends, faithful ministers. Isn't this great? They are actually living out Colossians 3.11 here. Like, it's actually, do you see that? It's like actually happening. He records this. This is not some pipe dream. This is not something that happens after Jesus returns. It's happening right here, right now. It's become a reality within the church of Colossae. I think that's part of the reason that the gospel is actually spreading throughout that region. Remember chapter 1? It says, we've heard how the gospel is spreading among you. I think this is part of the reason why it's spreading. Paul is showing us in this final passage, family, that befriending people outside of our circle is not optional for the spreading of the gospel. It is integral to the spread of the gospel. So let's do this. What if you were to take out your phone right now and you were to kind of scroll through your frequent, most frequent numbers that you contact? on a weekly, monthly basis. And you were just going to scroll through that. How many of your friends are like you? I mean, we're just going to put it right down in our neighborhood, right? How many are like you vocationally? How many are like you ethnically? How many are like you educationally? Uh, Pastor John and I, we talked about this passage on Tuesday, like we always do every week, and it started a really good kind of awkward conversation on Tuesday. It was great. (laughs) Uh, We really enjoyed it. We talked about how our church seems to be really reaching men and women pretty well. And we look around. We have pretty good balance. Men and women are hearing the gospel here. Talked about, we seem to be reaching folks from different vocations. We've got people that work in the shipyard. We've got uh, people that work in education. They're educators. We've got people that work in the medical field. 
We've got people uh, working in the business sector. But ethnically, we're pretty white, right? I mean, I'm just pointing out the obvious, right? I mean, like, we lean vanilla, right? I mean, can I say that? We see it. So we're talking, we're wondering, why is that? Like, like if we really believe, like, Christ is over all and in all, why, why is that here? Now, I don't think that we're doing anything intentionally to exclude people, we're a pretty loving community, but the gospel of Jesus compels us to at least ask the question if we're doing anything to intentionally welcome people. Because that's different. That's different. Like, how do we do that? How do we befriend people outside of our circle so that the good news about Christ right here at Crossway is actually welcoming to them? It actually sounds and looks like what it sounds like. Good news. I want to be real honest with you guys. I don't know. Okay? Can pastors say I don't know sometimes? Because I don't know. Like in, in, in all humility, there are probably people better than me that know how to do that. Um, and know how to do that in a church. But I do think it's safe to say that it at least starts with us on an individual basis. We can start there. I don't think that's where that ends, but that's where that starts. So befriending someone outside of your usual circle can start by just simply inviting them over for dinner. Or coffee maybe after work. You work with them. Befriending someone can start with just getting a hobby. So your circle of people will expand. You're going to be around more people. Or it could be getting your children involved with school activities or just sports in the community. And you go to those practices, you can talk with parents at those practices and get to know them. One thing that I've been challenged to do personally, and this, is, this whole series has been, I've never been challenged like any book of the Bible than I have by Colossians. But one thing I've been challenged to do personally this year is to simply listen to women more. Starting with my wife. Vanessa said, amen. <laughs> right? So, so that's how I've been challenged. I'm trying to work that out in my life. How, how, how can you guys work that out? That's what I want before you. Like, like I would just literally just like simply went in my study and I looked at all the books on my shelf. And you know what I found out? Just by looking, just by being awake, I found out that most of my books are written by men. Didn't do that on purpose. Didn't do that intentionally. But I did it. There it is, right? I, I looked at my phone. I said, you know what? Most of the podcasts that I listen to are hosted by men, featuring men that are being interviewed. Most of the people I follow on Twitter, I look, most of them are men. And so I've been trying to make some changes this week about that. Part of living out the gospel is learning to learn from my sisters in Christ. So I don't know what the ultimate goal is, but trying to make some simple steps of how can I listen and how can I learn if I say that they are equal in Christ. You see, guys, befriending people outside of our circle is integral to living and spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. It's not an optional add-on. We live out the gospel that we preach when we spend our authority and advantages for the benefits of others. 
when we spend our authority and advantages for the benefit of others who are living out the gospel. Not only does Paul have real friends that he knows and spends time with from a diverse background, but notice what he actually says about the people that he lists. It's very interesting. I, I mean, we don't have time to go all through all of them. I'm just going to pick two out of all of them. All right, interesting. Let's go with Nympha, okay? Colossians 4.15, he says, Give my greeting to the brothers and to Nympha in the church in her house. He spotlights her. He singles her out. He didn't just say the brothers and the sisters. The brothers, give them my greeting. I, Paul, give them my greeting and to Nympha, to the church that is in her house. We've talked here before about how women were held in low esteem in the culture, Greco-Roman culture. Paul names Nympha. She highlights, for, by the way, for all the people that are going to read this letter forever and ever, which would include us, he highlights that the church meets in her house. That's very curious to me. Is that curious to you? Because that's not a throwaway comment. The fact that she alone is mentioned leads me to believe that she was either a single woman or a widowed woman. Therefore, she would have been the head of her house. She's in charge of whatever goes on in her house. She's living there by herself. The fact that she has decided to open up her house to the church gatherings lets us know that she had both some money and she had some serious managerial skills to pull all that off regularly. Nympha is the host of the church. She's managing and organizing the gatherings so that they run smoothly and efficiently, which was no small task for her to do. And Paul, with all the authority of an apostle, is giving her recognition of how significant her ministry is to the church in Laodicea. Her work is integral to the ministry. He goes, I just want everyone to know that. Way to go, sis. Let's talk about Onesimus. Colossians 4.9. Let's go to the text there. 4.9. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you everything that's taking place here. All right? So, so Tychicus is like the minister that's been with Paul. He's, he's gone on these trips. He goes, oh, and by the way, he's got something to tell about me. Oh, by the way, Onesimus, you need to listen to him too. You need to listen to what he's bringing too. You see what he's doing? He's elevating Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave that ran away from his master and received the gospel after coming in contact with Paul. And Onesimus has been serving Paul in his ministry efforts since then. Paul spends the authority and advantages that he has not to benefit his good name, but to benefit a slave. Are you guys catching this? You seeing this? He spends it to lift up Onesimus as an equal, and he does it in a public way. Paul goes even further than that in his letter to Philemon. Philemon was a Christian that had a house church as well. And Paul is trying in that letter to persuade Philemon, who is Onesimus' master, to do the right thing and set him free. I said I wasn't going to preach Philemon, but I couldn't help myself. I've never heard a sermon from that book of the Bible. So check this out, verses 8 and 9. Paul says to, to, to Philemon, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. 
I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for Jesus Christ, I appeal to you for my, what's that word? My child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Like, I don't even have time to go over all the nuances and play on words that he's using right there in that passage. But Paul has all kinds of advantages and authority that make his life easier than other people. You guys remember Philippians 3, chapter 3? He runs through that whole list, right? Higher education, born into nobility. He has Roman citizenship that lets him travel freely in the, in the empire. Jewish heritage. And Paul chooses to spend it on those that are weak instead of himself to make his life better than to make his life better. This is staggering, guys. You cannot identify any more closely with a slave than calling him your child. And get this, to the one that legally owns him. That is a risky move, socially speaking, right? Like, that'll make people upset with you. That, that'll ruin a friendship. That'll cut off missionary funding, right? That's a bold move Paul is making. But Paul goes even further than that. Check this out, verses 17 through 19. He says, so, if you consider me your partner... Receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, get this, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. Charge that to my account, he says. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your own self. <laughs> so he signs a little bit of that apostolic authority in there. Paul, but it's gentle. So this is, is an interesting letter. Paul puts himself in harm's way, guys. He puts himself in harm's way. Why? So that Onesimus can benefit. Not him. Like, he says, like, if he has wronged you by the law, if he has hurt you somehow legally, then you charge it to me. Like, so if he gets a fine, you fine me. You beat me, you kill me. You put that on me. It's written down. He can take that to court. He's intentionally put himself in harm's way. Paul uses his strong social position, his strong spiritual position to become weak so that his brother, who is in a weak position, can become empowered in a way that actually makes a difference in his life. It's not just words. It might actually make him free. This is what living out the gospel looks like, brothers and sisters. Right here. It's what it looks like. Living out the gospel means Christians spend their authority and advantages to lift up other people, to serve to the benefit of others, not just serve ourselves. We spend our strength on those who are weak so that they become strong too. We spend our voice on those that have none so that people can hear them, not just us. We spend our influence and advantages in such a way that shows an unbelieving world that Jesus really is our greatest treasure, not all of those things. And here's the proof. And they go, why are you doing that? Nobody does that because Jesus is my greatest treasure. 
When we spend our advantages on others, it proves that Jesus really is, after all, king over our life. That's not our king. That's not our Lord. That's nice. And he's our Lord. Living out the gospel of Jesus means we don't have a if you win, then I lose mentality. Christians have a if you win, we win mentality. Why? Because Christ looks great when we win. He looks glorious. So here's a question to ask. What advantage, access, or authority has God given to you? Those are gifts. So what gift has he given to you? What has he given you in his great variety uh, gifts of grace to you, brothers and sisters? Ask him to show you this week in ways that you could spend that to benefit other individuals or maybe other groups of people. Because that's why he gave that to you. When we live out the gospel, we pay the personal cost. We pay the personal cost. Uh, We've got to be honest here. We've got to acknowledge that there is a personal cost of bringing people into the family of God who might be considered different than us, right? There is a cost to that. Like, it's not going to be all like rainbows and cupcakes when we start living out the gospel. It's not. This is a decidedly countercultural way of living. And one of the reasons that we don't do it, I think, is because we know it'll cost us something. Paul reminds us at the end of this at the very end of his letter. He's honest about it. He says this phrase in verse 18, three words, remember my chains. Remember my chains. Paul is literally in chains because he's empowered people outside of his tribe, his circle, and said, come to Jesus. You can read all about that in Acts 21 and 22. Paul used his advantages and authorities so that those who did not have the same background as he did could have the same God and Father as he does. That's how he spent that. And you know what? It cost him. It cost him a lot. It cost Paul his social and ethnic circles as a Pharisee. I mean, Paul was beyond being blacklisted. Paul was hit-listed. Was he not? Paul was hit-listed by those that he was educated with and even ministered alongside with at one time. It cost Paul his reputation with people. The governor who was in charge of reviewing his case declares before everyone that Paul is so educated he has lost his mind. He calls him crazy to try to dismiss him and the stuff he's talking about. It cost him his reputation. It cost Paul his freedom. Because Paul was a Roman citizen, he had the right to not be unlawfully imprisoned. He had the right to travel freely throughout the Roman Empire. But because he actually believed and lived out the gospel, he gave up those rights. He traveled as a prisoner. The only way he can get places now is if he's as a prisoner in chains. And someone, tells them, someone else tells them where to go and how long to be there. Paul is telling us, if we call ourselves a Christian, if you really live this out socially, it might cost you some things that you hold dear. But it is worth it. It is worth it. Paul rattles his chains in our ears to embolden us, family. To encourage us. Be like me, he's saying. 
It is worth the cost. It is worth people questioning your relationship with God. It's worth people calling you a troublemaker. It's worth starting awkward conversations and look really stupid while you're doing it because you don't know how to have that conversation. That's a cost, but it's worth doing that. Why? Because sharing Jesus is the only hope the world has, and his gospel is a lot bigger than you and me. I know what maybe you're thinking, uh, well, Paul was given special power to suffer for the gospel. I mean, he's an apostle after, after all. So he's been given a special dose of the Holy Spirit, and he can suffer loss for the gospel, but I can't. I can't do that. I mean, I'm not an apostle. I'm just a nobody. I'm just a nobody. Well, let me tell you a story about a nobody. This week I heard the story of George Lyle. Anyone ever heard of George Lyle? Anybody? No one's heard of George Lyle. That's okay. I didn't either. I didn't either. George Lyle was the first missionary from America. He was an African-American slave who became a Christian in 1773 after hearing the gospel preached in the church of his slave master, Henry Sharp. Now, the fact that that even happened is a miracle unto itself. But it gets better. He began ministering the gospel to other slaves by singing hymns on the plantations and then explaining to them the songs that they were singing and what they meant and who those songs were about. His master saw his desire and his talent as a minister of the gospel and decided to set him free. And then he ordained him as a Baptist missionary, which is pretty amazing. Now check this out. Here is what George Lyle does with his newfound freedom and advantage. This blew me away. Like, what would you do with freedom and the ability to go wherever you want to go? I mean, I know what I would do. Here's what he does. He sells himself back into slavery for $700 so that he can sail a ship bound for the island of Jamaica and preach the gospel to Jamaican slaves because no one was going to do that. Is that amazing? Unbelievable. The gospel got a hold of this brother and it changed his life in a real practical way. God used George Lyle, who was just a nobody, trying to tell everybody about somebody that could save anybody. So what empowers us to live out the gospel like the Apostle Paul and George Lyle? Because you've got to have some power to do that, amen? So what empowers him to, to live his life like that? It's the power of God's grace. It's the power of God's grace, family. Paul ends his letter in verse 18 with this simple phrase, grace be with you. Now, he's not doing that the way like we sign off on emails, okay? Typically, in a Greco-Roman letter, you say farewell. He changes that. So everyone reading that would go, what? What? That's not what you're supposed to say. Why are you saying that? It's normal to us. It would have been different back then. 
You see, the thing that empowers the Apostle Paul and the thing that empowered George Lyle to live out the gospel in a practical way is the same thing that empowers you and me to live out the gospel. It's the same thing. We have the same access to this. It's available to all of us. We must be overwhelmed by the grace that God has shown to us personally. That's what changes lives. That's what reorients people's trajectory. Paul said it this way in the, in the letter to Philippians after listing his fine pedigree of privileges that he has. Verse 8. Indeed, I, he's listed all of that. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Loss. Why? Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. See, it's personal of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. Paul was able to live out the gospel because he was convinced that gaining Christ was of surpassing worth to anything that he could lose or be taken from him. And what makes Christ that worthy? What? You've got to ask. What makes Christ of surpassing worth then? Well, he tells us, interestingly enough, in chapter 2 of Philippians, he says, Though Christ was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God, equality with God, a thing to be grasped. That word means to be clutched, to be held on to. But emptied himself. This is what makes Christ gorgeous. This is what makes him worthy of honor and praise in our songs. Christ emptied himself. How? By taking the form of a servant. That word there is slave. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. This is what makes Jesus Christ so wonderful to us and precious to us. Family, Christ crossed boundaries and he befriended us. He befriended us. Though it cost him his reputation with his people, with, his, with the establishment. Christ emptied himself of all his privilege and advantages as God so that we who were weak in sin could have them all. Christ, who is equal to God in divinity, yet he stooped. He stooped to identify with us sinful humans. Isn't that beautiful? Doesn't that melt your heart a little bit? But you know what, guys? Christ had to pay a huge cost to that. There was a big payment that had to be paid for that to happen for us. A huge payment had to be paid for us to get that benefit. In order for Jesus to give us his good name, that new name, that son of God, daughter of God placed on us, he had to absorb the shame of our name. Sinner. Rebellious one in order for Jesus to release us from slavery to sin, Christ had to give up his freedom and be bound not with, not with chains or ropes, but be bound with nails to a cross. That's what he did. He did that for you. Yes, you. And me. And he was glad to do it. 
He didn't think anything of it. Didn't have to even pray about it. I'm doing it. Right? He knew what he was going to lose. He knew what he was going to give up. He knew what he was going to sacrifice. He said, sign me up. No one else is going to do that for them. I'll do it for them. That's grace, guys. That is grace. That is grace. That's amazing grace on another level kind of grace. And that's what you and I have received if we call ourselves Christian, if we put our trust and faith in him. That is why we put our trust and faith in him, by the way. That ought to do something to us. That ought to change us. Let his grace empower you to live like him no matter the cost. May the gospel be more than just talk for us. Grace be with you. Grace be with you. I love you. I'll pray for you, okay? King Jesus, you are Lord of all. And you set your worthy crown aside to wear a crown of nails. And they treated you like a slave. And they treated you like a criminal. We did that. Though you were the king. And you were glad to, to, to do it. Why would you do that for me? But you did it. Thank you. Thank you for what you gave up. Thank you for what you sacrificed. So we could have God as our father too. And God, I just pray that you would move in our hearts to put this into action in our lives with real people that live around us. Change us. Help us befriend people that are outside our circle. Help us use the, the authority or advantages you've given to us to benefit other people, not just ourselves. And let your grace empower us to pay costs and take losses, just like you did for us. There is no God like you, Jesus. You alone are worthy of praise, and we thank you. Amen.